The real thing that was on my heart for the whole time was that when we praise, we put our problem into the hands of God, who is the ultimate problem solver. And then we lift him up and we thank him for who he is and what he's done because it's already happened. But I did get in trouble at dinner party when we were talking because I used, we were just talking and I used a bit of an analogy and I got told off because I didn't share it with people. So I'm going to share it now. And I talked about how the way I think about it is often when we praise, you're essentially taking something off your to-do list and putting it on God's to-do list. But then the issue is that if you're still telling him how to do it, you know, if you've given somebody something to do and then I go, Kirsty, can you do this? And then I'm checking in with her every five minutes. Have you done this? You should do this next and now you should do this. And then if you can do this, that would be great. I haven't, it's still on my to-do list. I'm still clearly thinking about it. It's still stuck on me. You haven't actually given it all over. So that's the hard part because delegating's not easy. But <laughs> but I want to talk today about what you do after you've given it to God because that's the hard part. While you're waiting, while you're waiting for that breakthrough, what do we do? So yesterday I called Brendan and he was on speakerphone and they were driving in the car and it was him and Kirsty and James in the background. He, you know, he sang me a bit of the alphabet. It was fun uh, as, as we were having a serious conversation. But then I would just occasionally hear him yell out, let's get going. And I'm like, what's, what's going on? And so it turns out they were just stopped at the traffic lights. But James really wanted to go. He didn't want to wait at the traffic lights. And so I could hear Brendan patiently explaining, you know, it's a red light, see all these cars driving, you know, if we drive, they'll hit us. But James was just, let's get going. And then he would start going, one, two, three, as if that would make it work. And I was like, that's just, that's just so precious and so amazing. But that, that is also a little bit how we are sometimes. That we, we've all been in those situations where we've had to wait and we think, if I just count or do something, it'll happen. And sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, you're waiting in traffic or you're in a queue or you're waiting to find a park or maybe you're waiting for something to download, you're waiting for the Netflix buffering symbol to go away, you're waiting on the post to arrive because you've ordered something, or maybe it's more serious, maybe you're waiting on a solution to a problem that's in your life. You're waiting on God, you're waiting for breakthrough to come. But waiting patiently is hard because it usually feels like you're doing nothing. <laughs> and... We can be like James in those moments. We can try counting or we can try flipping it. Maybe we'll try counting down three, two, one, and that'll, that'll, that'll bring the breakthrough immediately. But again, what we're called to do in these situations is still to keep praising God. And it feels backwards and it feels odd, but it's, it's actually not if you think about it. Because when we're waiting, you usually, you're waiting on somebody else to do something. You need somebody to do it. And praise is what we do when we've given something to God. So if we've given something to God and we're waiting on him, it actually makes perfect sense that we should be praising. But our brains tell us that doesn't make sense. So I want to take you through a bit of a story today of a situation in the Bible when they were waiting and then they praised and then they got breakthrough. So in Joshua 6 verses 1 to 5... It's about the destruction of Jericho. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. Now, shut up means they closed the gates, not they were like yelling at them to shut up. 
None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall all go up, every man straight before him. So Jericho was, it was, they'd locked the gates, they'd shut it up tight, they were, they were happy to hide in there. They had provisions, they were all good. They didn't care about the Israelite army that was surrounding them. They were on high alert. So for the Israelites, from a human perspective, coming up to the city, it would be a hard, if not impossible, battle. There's all this architect, architectural, archaeological evidence of what the walls of Jericho were like, and some accounts say that they were six metres wide at the base. So to put that into con context, this stage is five metres wide. So the base of the walls, you know, front to back, were wider than this, and they could, be, could have been about four metres tall, so that's probably up around that arch. So... It's, there were big walls. It wasn't just, you know, often we might think it's a bit of a, you know, a brush fence that you could just, you know, kick through. But the thing is that from God's perspective, it didn't matter. The battle was already over. He told Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. He was using past tense before it had already happened. God knew the outcome. But then this is where it gets a bit weird because, you know, he tells them you shall march around the city, you know, six days and this isn't how you do war. Just in case you didn't know, that's not what war is. You don't generally just go, oh, a city, I'm going to take that. I'm just going to march around it for six days because it makes no sense from a military perspective because when you're watching, walking around the city, you're open to attack from people in the city who are, you know, four metres up, they could throw things at you, shoot bows and arrows, they could easily take you out. You're also just marching around the city, so all your troops are getting tired because they're walking around. So you shouldn't go into a battle tired. You should go fresh. And then also all they're really doing is giving the enemy all the information because the people in Jericho could see exactly what troops they had, everything, their layout, all their numbers. But what it was really doing was it was setting up that in order to defeat Jericho, it required total dependence on God. It wasn't something that the Israelites were going to do. So Joshua got all the soldiers and priests together and he told them the plan about walking around the city and he told them basically on days one to six and even on day seven as we're walking around, be very, very quiet. You will not shout. Don't, don't let anything come out of your mouth until I tell you to shout. Now, I really wanted to do an Elmer Fudd impersonation, but I feel like without the beard I look a bit like him, so it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> Yes. Um, so in Joshua 6, verses 12 to 14, it says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. 
as they were walking around and around the city once every day for six days, it would have been agonising for the people of Israel. They'd be fearing attack at any moment. They would be tired. They'd be confused because they're here to wage war and they're just walking around. They were, they'd be thinking, this is not how we wage war. This is not what we do. They would have had to be silent. For all we know, the people of Jericho could have been standing on the walls yelling insults at them and they just have to keep walking. And It would have been the most tiresome and struggling point of their life. It was really just God was nailing down how helpless they were in that situation. They, As they walked around, they were seeing every angle, how actually impenetrable these walls were. And they were getting the real impression that this battle was bigger than they were and it was bigger than anything they could possibly handle. But then on verse 15, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. As I was reading this, I had a thought that I'd never thought about before. So if on day seven they could march around the city seven times, what days one to six would have just been really just, you just march around once and there would just be so much downtime. Because if, if you could do it seven times in one day to only do it once, you think that's a lot of time that you're just sitting there waiting. You know, they, if there was, you know, maybe it needed to be a magic number if they needed to march around it 13 times, they could have done that in two days. God, I mean, let's be honest, God could have caused the, caused the walls to fall after marching around one time. But that wasn't God's plan. They had to wait patiently for God and his timing and his method. It seems crazy and the waiting is painful, but the lesson that God is teaching them and it's also teaching us is that if deliverance is coming from God, it comes in his way and in his time. It's not something we can force. So verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpet and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and they took the city. So the people of Israel had to wait and trust in God's promise and in his timing. And as they did and as they praised, they saw victory was delivered to them. Because we know that on the other side of praise is breakthrough. But to get to breakthrough, you need to break through. It's two words. That means that if you're looking for breakthrough, that there's, there are walls in front of you that, you need, that need to come down. There's obviously a barrier to whatever your breakthrough is. But we know that praise is the weapon that will break through. And it's counterintuitive to what we think of as a weapon. Because when you think of a weapon, you probably think of guns or knives or, you know, in the Israelite sense, you're thinking swords and shields and catapults and weapons of war like that. So what do we mean when we say praise is a weapon? In 2 Corinthians 10.4, says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. There is a war going on, and it's not a war against people. It's not against your neighbour or your colleagues or the government or other countries or criminals, but the war is against an unseen enemy who will stop at nothing to get rid of you and take you out of the fight. As Ash spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians 6.12, 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The enemy wants you to live defeated. And that's why God has given us weapons to fight. And one of these weapons is praise. Because when we praise, we make God bigger and our problems smaller. When we praise, we are elevating the truth of the situation. When we praise, we will see strongholds fall. Because we're going into warfare. But it looks a little different to how you'd think about going into warfare. We're not putting on, you know, our army fatigues and getting our guns out. No, we're going into warfare with our voices, with our hearts, with our bodies as we praise. So we're on the front line of the battlefield. We're entering in with all of heaven to bring glory to God. But it takes effort. But we can praise because God is with us and he's already won. He's already given Jericho into your hand before the battle has even started, before you've arrived. We can march around and around and see the towering walls and know we can't defeat it. But it doesn't matter because the victory we have is already there. It's already his. We don't need to do anything else. We just need to claim it. So we're going to go into have a bit of a time of praise. So get the band up. So we're going to go into battle. And so what we're going to do is we're going to engage our hearts, we're going to engage our spirits, and we're going to fight in our situations. But before we do that, my question to you is, what is your Jericho? What is the situation you're in right now? Where are you looking to get breakthrough? What are the walls that are holding you back right now? And then how will you respond when those walls come down? Are you going to shout? Are you going to clap your hands? Are you going to cry tears of relief? Are you going to tell everyone? How will you respond when that wall comes down and breakthrough arrives? Because why are you waiting? Like, what are you doing in your waiting? Are you just sitting there waiting? Because the victory is already here. The victory is here. The battle is over. It's already won. So we need to start praising. We need to lift up the name of Jesus. We need to give thanks to him for who he is and what is already done in our lives. We need to put on our garment of praise. We need to get passionate. We need to engage our spirit. Because praise needs to be celebratory. Because it's already won. It's not a, I'm waiting. It's, it's already happened. We need to celebrate and be joyful. The victory is already here. Because how do we know breakthrough is coming? It's already happened. It's as simple as that. So just invite you to stand as the band starts. We're going to sing a song. We're going to praise. We're going to lift up the name of Jesus. We're going to give him the glory. And I want you to engage your spirit. And I want you to think about what's your situation? What's your Jericho? What are the walls blocking you? And how they can come down? And how will you respond when they come down? Come on, thank you, band. Awesome. Come on, church. Lifted him up. Let's begin to cry out to him. Come on, church. We've been marching around for six days. 
It's the seventh day. We've gone around seven times. In a moment, we're going to lift up a shout of praise. The shout of praise that brings walls down. The shout of praise that brings breakthrough in your situation. I believe as we cry out, as we praise, that the power of heaven is moving in this place. The walls are coming down. The doors are opening. The cities are falling. The strongholds are crumbling. The breakthrough is here. It is coming. It is coming. It is here. Oh, come on, lift up a shout. Oh. 